As, uh, as Thomas said, this really is an exciting time of year. Hope for Christmas is upon us yet again. And if you're new to our church and you're going, what in the world's hope for Christmas? Uh, every year, our church serves hundreds of families here in our community uh, that might otherwise not be able to experience Christmas like the rest of us. And so uh, this year, we're actually aiming to serve 500 families in partnership with several other churches from our community. And so we'll take Saturday, December the 8th. You need to mark that date on your calendar now, like save it. So nothing else gets in the way of it. But we'll take that day, throw a big Christmas party, uh, host all these families, and then every family leaves with food, gifts, uh, more than anything, hope, prayer. We share the gospel. It's just an amazing, amazing day. So we're going to have more info for you next Sunday on how you can serve and get involved. But again, for now, just save the date, even if you want to get out your phones like in this moment and block it off December the 8th because you do not want to miss being a part of this, okay? But for now, we got a message to get to. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6 together today. Genesis 6. I would encourage you, if you haven't already, be sure to read chapter 7 and 8 on your own time this week. Uh, We're not going to read all those together. We're going to mainly hang out in chapter 6. But we are going to cover some things from the other two chapters. So check them out, and that will help you for next week as well, okay? Uh, For those of you who are just joining us, six weeks ago, we started a series on the book of Genesis. It will probably take us about a year to get through it. But this is a book that was written by a guy named Moses as a family history lesson to the nation of Israel. And specifically the nation as they wandered in the desert after being freed from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And so far we've covered two of the four major events found in the first 11 chapters of the book. Those events, by the way, cover over 2,000 years of history that we know of which are more than all the other books of the Bible combined. It's pretty fascinating what we're learning about right now. But in weeks one and two, we talked about creation. And we learned that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he did so perfectly, right? He created everything just the way he wanted it, and it was all working according to his design. It's important to always remember that when God created the universe, he didn't simply hit the start button on human life and say to us, go figure it out. No, God created intentionally. He created purposefully. He set everything in motion to work a certain way. And for life to work according to how God designed it, it must function according to that design. Well, in weeks three through five, we talked about the second event, the fall. And we learned in those weeks that mankind ultimately decided to rebel against the God who created them. And as a result of their rebellion, sin, and all of its consequences invaded our world. And all of creation, including human life, came under a curse. And that curse resulted in things like marriage difficulties, uh, hardship and pain and childbearing. It resulted in suffering, violence, war, murder, ultimately death. And so it's important again to remember that the world isn't the way it is because God created it that way. Uh, The world today is the way it is because of the sins of people like you and me. God created everything perfectly in the beginning, but because of man's kind rebellion, all of creation is now broken. And we saw last week that things are so broken and mankind strayed so far from God in these beginning years of the earth that God actually regretted making mankind. Hard statement to grapple with. But his regret sets the stage for the third major event that we'll begin discussing today, and it's an event commonly known as the flood. You guys know that little kid story we tell about all those people drowning and dying, right? I mean, 
I don't know how we as church people take stories like this and turn them into kids' stories, but we do. This is not really a kid's story. It's a pretty horrific story that raises a lot of questions that need answers. But the big question that we're going to focus on today is this. And if you're taking notes, you can drop this down. How do we, as the people of God, remain faithful to God in a faithless world? How do we, as the people of God, remain faithful to God in a faithless world? I'll be honest and tell you, I'm not sure that there's a more important question that we as followers of Jesus need to be asking today. Because the reality is we live in a world today that puts constant pressure on us to abandon faithfulness to God in favor of lesser things. But what you and I cannot afford to do as Christians is retreat or withdraw from the world, right? Because the same God who saved us out of the world now sends us into the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ with broken people, people far from him. So again, we can't run away. But neither can we allow ourselves to believe that this pressure we're facing is something new. Because it's not. Uh, This pressure is actually really, really old. In fact, it's the same pressure that we're going to see our boy Noah facing during his time here on the earth. And I think you're going to see what I'm talking about as we work our way through the text. So if your Bibles are open, Genesis 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, this will be on the screen so you can follow along there. Here's what it says. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. And finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. Uh, Be back next Sunday. We're going to talk about this covenant that God makes with Noah in great detail. All right, Uh, And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And then we start seeing some language that reminds us of what we saw in Genesis 1 in the creation account, right? Of the birds according to their kinds. And of the animals according to their kinds. Of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that's eaten and store it up. And it shall serve as food for you and for them. And I love verse 22. We'll come back to this in a moment. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So what we learn right away from the text is this. That Noah was different from every other person on the earth alive at this time. I mean, I just want you to imagine that if you were the only committed follower of Jesus Christ in our world today. That out of 7 billion people, everybody is living in open rebellion against God except for you. Like you're the one person on this face, on the face of the planet, that's striving to actually love God, love people, be like Jesus. That was basically Noah's story. 
He was the one man in a world filled with corruption and violence that somehow remained faithful. And so what we see in the passage is God coming to this faithful man with both a promise and a provision. And the promise he made was this, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. Due to the violence and wickedness that I see, I'm getting ready to put an end to all flesh, and I'm going to do so using a flood. Now, why a flood? You ever considered this? Especially all you church people who grew up here in this story time and time again. You ever wondered why in the world God used water? I mean, he could have wiped out mankind any way he wanted, so why water? Well, I think the answer makes a lot of sense when you consider how we use water today. We use water to clean our clothes, to clean our dishes, to clean our cars, to clean our bodies, right? The list goes on and on. Basically, we use water to wash away the dirt and grime of everyday life, yes? Well, in a very similar way, God sent water upon the earth because it was the most effective way of cleansing the earth at once from the spiritual dirt and grime that covered it. You see, the, floods, the flood was God's way of starting over, if you will. It was his way of forming a new creation through the one righteous man alive at this time, Noah. Again, God also offered a provision in addition to the promise. Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth, and so what I want you to do is build an ark. And I'm going to use that ark to save you, to save your family, and to save a zoo full of animals that you're going to bring along. And then God gives him specifics on what to build. This is fascinating. He actually tells Noah, this ark needs to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Which, if you're anything like me, that means absolutely nothing to you, right? I mean, how many of you have measured anything in cubits lately? That's what I thought. And if you raise your hand, you're a liar, okay? But this boat, listen, this boat was to be 450 feet long. I'm going to give you some measurements that you can understand. That's 90 feet longer than a football field when you take the end zones into account. The boat was supposed to be 75 feet wide. That's the width of a basketball court plus another half of a basketball court. And then finally, it was supposed to be 45 feet high. So imagine a four and a half story building. When you do the math and take into consideration that this boat also had three decks, the total deck area would have been somewhere around 100,000 square feet. This was a massive, massive vessel. But in addition to all that, I want to give you a few other things to consider before we really dig in, okay? Number one, and again, if you're taking notes, write some of this stuff down. Number one, Noah probably had zero boat building experience. Uh, We know from the scriptures that after the flood, he was a farmer. And so chances are, before the flood, he was a farmer. He's probably doing the same thing with his life. So imagine that's you. Right, you're just kind of going through life, doing your everyday job, what you know how to do, and God comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to destroy the earth, but don't worry, I'm going to save you. And all you need to do is build a boat. But it can't be some small, dinky little boat, all right? It needs to be a boat so large that it won't fit inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The second thing to consider, this boat would have taken years for Noah to build. Not days, not weeks, not months, years. We know from Genesis chapter 7 that Noah was 600 years old when he entered the ark. We know from Genesis chapter 5 that he was 500 years old when he fathered the sons that were with him on the ark. And then we see in Genesis 6 and what we just read that God told him, Hey, Noah, I want you to bring your sons and their wives with you onto the ark. And so we know that when God gave him these instructions, his kids were already grown and married. 10 o'clock, are y'all tracking? 
Like, I know it's still early and you're having to use your brains, but just stay with me, okay? Listen, in light of all these little details, most biblical scholars have concluded that it probably took him somewhere between 50 and 75 years to build this boat. That is not a small little side job, my friends. That's called a career, right? The final thing to consider is this. At this point in history, no one had any concept of a flood. Like some scholars debate whether or not the people had ever even seen a rainstorm. So again, put yourself in Noah's shoes. God comes to you and says, hey, a flood's coming. Uh, excuse me, what? what's a flood? God, can you help me out here? Give me some details on that. Well, no, water is going to fall from the sky, and it's also going to come up from the ground, and over a period of time, water will cover every inch of dry land. And everything that's not on the boat you're going to build will be swept away and destroyed. How confused do you think you'd be in that moment if you were him? God, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I think I should probably build a boat, right? And here's what I love about Noah. That's exactly what he does. In spite of having no boat building experience, knowing this thing is going to take me years to complete, having never seen a flood, possibly even rain. Again, verse 22, what did we see there? Noah did all God commanded. My friends, do you know what that's called? It's called faith. It's called faith. You see, contrary to what some people promote and other people think and believe, faith is more than a feeling. Faith is more than hopeful, imaginary, wishful thinking. Faith is more, and this is for all you church people in the room, faith is more than just a biblical doctrine. You see, faith is when you and I as people have such confidence in the character of God and the promises of God that we choose to walk in obedience to God. And this is exactly what Noah does. As a result of his confidence in who God is and the promises he made to him, Noah builds a boat. And from his obedient faith, we learn some things. We learn some things about what it looks like to be faithful to God in a faithless world. And I'm going to give you some of these things. So if you're taking notes, lesson number one. We learn from Noah's obedient faith that being faithful to God means doing things you've never done. That being faithful to God means doing things you've never done. Every time I read this story, I wonder to myself, was there ever a moment in which Noah said to God or himself, I don't know what I'm doing here. I mean, come on, what plot of land am I supposed to build this monstrosity on? What am I supposed to use for nails? Where do I find all this pitch? I mean, God, how do I make the right measurements? Are you going to send me a detailed blueprint from heaven so that I make sure I get this thing right? Because, God, I don't know if you know this, I've never done this before. I need you to know today that if you decide to live a life of faithfulness to God in our faithless world, you're going to feel like this at times. God's going to ask you to do things, and in that moment, your response will be, God, I've never done that. Right? For example, somebody's going to come to you, and they're going to ask you what you believe as a follower of Jesus Christ about certain hot-button issues. Hey, what do you believe about marriage and sexuality and abortion and politics, and the list goes on and on? And in that moment, you're going to freeze, <laughs> and you're going to think to yourself, um, I'm pretty sure I know the right answers, but I don't know if I want to say them out loud because I've never done this before. Or, or what about this? Uh, your boss at work is going to ask you to do something completely unethical. 
dishonest, immoral. And you're going to know in that moment, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I cannot do this. This is completely wrong. But I don't even know how to say no to my boss because I've never had to take a stand like this against a person like that in a position of authority. I've never done this before. Or God's going to bring somebody into your life, a neighbor, a co-worker, maybe a complete stranger, somebody who's far from him. They don't believe what you believe. They don't behave like you behave. They don't look like you look, live how you live. And you're going to know right away, God brought this person into my life so that I can befriend them and share the hope of Jesus Christ with them. But you're going to be thinking in the back of your mind, I don't know how to do that because I've never done this before. And so the question I want to raise is this. What in the world do we do in situations like that? Situations in which we all know that being faithful to God is going to require something of us that we've never done before. Well, here's the answer. You ready? You do what Noah did. And you do that thing you've never done while trusting in God to be with you every step of the way. Listen, I'll just go ahead and tell you. Um, this obedience that I'm talking about, not always easy. This type of obedience doesn't always result in worldly success. But this type of obedience, it, it's always worth it in the end. You see, here's the good news of Scripture. God is never going to ask you to do something and then sit back at a distance and watch you fail miserably. But he's never going to give you work to do and then check out on you. And I just want to go ahead and tell you, there are going to be times in your life where it feels otherwise. Um, some of you guys know that years ago, I moved to Miami, Florida with a group of fr- friends to plant a church, and we all were convinced that we were doing exactly what God wanted us to do, and it was something we had never done before. We didn't know what we were doing. We had great intentions, but we were clueless, all right? We got down there, we started this church, and eight months in, we shut the door. Did God bail on us? Did God quit on us? Did God check out on us? Not a chance. He was with us every step of the way. And if you ask people on our team, including myself, how God used that experience in our lives, he used it to shape us and to make us into the men and women we are today. So again, obedience to God doesn't always look like success, and it's not always easy. Sometimes it's really, really difficult. But at the same time, you can know and take confidence in this, that in whatever God asks you to do, he himself promises to be with you. But if you want to experience that promise of God with you, you have to be willing to step out in faith at times and do things that you've never done. The second lesson we learned from Noah's obedient faith is this, that being faithful to God means doing things you don't want to do. Just keeps getting better, doesn't it? Being faithful, don't worry, there's a third point we hadn't even got to yet. Being faithful to God means doing things you don't want to do. I mean, come on, let's get honest. You really think Noah crawled out of bed every day for 50 to 75 years with a smile on his face, ready to build that boat? Oh, man, I can't wait to do this again today. It's going to be awesome. No, I bet there were days when Noah wanted to quit. He's looking at his hands going, I don't want another blister. I just pulled the last splinter out of my hand from yesterday. I don't want to pick up another piece of wood. I mean, I had another terrible night of sleep last night from the sunburn I got from working out in the, the, the heat all day. I just don't want to do this again. I also imagine that after Noah got on the ark with his family and all those animals, there were probably days when he wanted off. 
I mean, we know from Genesis chapter 8, listen to this, that they were on the ark for about a year together. Can you imagine being stuck on a boat with seven of your closest family members and a zoo full of animals for a year? And I'm sure he got up at times and went, can't do this today. I'm just going to go for a swim, you know? <laughs> and again, here's what you have to know and trust. If you want to live a life of faithfulness to God in our world today, you're going to feel like that at times. God's going to ask you to do certain things that you won't want to do. God, I don't want to downgrade my lifestyle so that I can be more generous because I really like my money and my stuff. Um, God, I don't want to tell those people what your word really says about all those issues they keep asking me about because I don't want to offend anybody and I don't want people treating me like I'm some kind of intolerant bigot because I'm not. God, I don't want to put the kind of effort into my marriage that you want me to put in. You know, I would love my wife like Jesus loves his church if she'd quit nagging me all the time. I I would follow my husband like the church follows Jesus if he'd quit being a lazy jerk all the time. But God, at this point in our marriage, it just seems like the easy thing to do is to give up and walk away. Or, Or how about this single people in the room? I haven't forgotten about you. God, I don't want to do what you want me to do with my sex life. I mean, I know in your word you say that I should wait until marriage. But come on, God, nobody does that anymore. I mean, that's old. It's outdated. It's irrelevant. Times have changed. God, I don't want to wait. I want to do it right now. Listen, I could give examples all day long of how this works, but I want to raise the question again. What do you and I, as people who claim to follow Jesus, do in situations like this? Situations in which we know faithfulness to God is going to require something of us that we just absolutely do not want to do. Well, here again is the answer. It's very simple. Look, you do it anyway. You do it anyway, trusting that if God wants you to do it, that's what's best for you. Some of you in the room need to hear this, and and I think you need to hear it because I needed to hear it several years ago. And I was a kid who grew up in church. Some of you need to know today that God is not some angry dictator handing down rules and commands to steal your joy and make you miserable. I thought that's who God was for a long time. That he was this slave driver up in the sky just giving me stuff to do to keep me in check. And if I ever got out of line, he was just waiting in the wings to strike me down. And I have to imagine in a room of this size, some of you think of God like that. That's not who God is. According to the scriptures, God is a good, loving father who always wants what's best for his kids. And because that's true, God does what every good and loving parent does for their kids. He gives us boundaries to live within. He gives us work to be responsible for. And he gives those things to us not to steal our freedom, but to ensure that we live within it. God wants you to know life, and he wants you to know joy, and he wants you to know purpose. Therefore, everything God asks you to do is good for you, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. But if you want to experience, listen, if you want to experience all the good things God has for you, then you have to be willing to do those things you don't want to do. The third lesson we learn is this, that being faithful to God, and again, I told you it keeps getting better, means doing things you look foolish doing. We can learn from Noah's obedient faith that being faithful to God means doing things you're going to look foolish doing. Can you imagine how foolish Noah looked building this boat? <laughs> Ridiculous, like a madman, right? Dude who forgot to take his meds. 
And I just imagine people from his community walk on, walking up on it day after day. Noah, what are you doing? Well, I'm building an ark. Uh, yeah, see that. Why? Well, God told me. Don't you love when people drop that line on you? Like, you know something crazy about to be said, right? When certain people say it, and I imagine people that heard Noah say it thought, here we go again, madman. Well, God told me that he was going to send a flood upon the earth because of all the violence and wickedness that he sees taking place here. And any living creature that's not on the boat I'm building is going to be swept away and destroyed. All right, no, you've been sleeping okay, bro, because you sound like a fool right now, right? I mean, that's just crazy stuff. But that's not where the foolishness stopped. When you get into Genesis chapter 7, Noah finishes the ark, and then you find God saying to him, all right, I want you to get on the boat, you and your family, your sons, their wives, all the animals, and he actually expands some of his instructions for the animals Noah's to take. Uh, he tells Noah, take seven pair of clean animals. These are animals that would eventually be acceptable for both food and sacrifice. And then take one pair of unclean animals. These are animals that would never be okay for food or sacrifice, according to the law that God would one day give his people. And so think about this. God gives him the instruction. Get on the boat. It's done. They go in. God himself shuts the door to the ark with his very own hand. And then they sit there for seven days before a single drop of rain falls. Can't you just imagine people in his community walking by going, what a fool. This poor old man has lost his mind and his family's just going along with it. He spent all those years building this massive boat. And for what? This is so foolish. Again, please hear me. I need you to know that if you choose to live a life of faithfulness to God in our world today people are going to say similar things about you. Just get ready for it. Like, remember this moment. Oh, James told me that. People are going to say some, that person is out of their mind. They're crazy. They're intolerant. They're foolish. I mean, just think about the message we carry as Christians, and maybe this will put it in perspective. Here's our message. You ready? Due to the wickedness and violence upon the earth, a flood of judgment is coming. God himself will one day pour out his wrath and anger onto the sins of mankind. But God in his grace has provided a way of rescue from judgment through his son. Right, Jesus Christ is our ark, if you will. The one into whom we climb for safety. He promises us to carry us through the coming judgment of God one day. And therefore, in response to the gracious rescue God has provided us, what do we do as followers? Well, we live lives of faithfulness to him. We love him, and we honor him, and we obey him, and we live lives that put him on display to the world because that's who God created us to be. That's what we learned earlier in the series. We're image bearers created by God to be his physical representatives here on the earth. Again, you have to know to many people in our world, that's foolishness. It's foolishness to believe what we believe about sin and eternity and Jesus and judgment. It's foolishness to believe what we believe about the inherent value of human life. To believe what we believe about human relationships, marriage, abortion, and the list goes on and on. And so the question is, what should our response be to that? It's really simple. We do what Noah did and we live as fools for Christ. We embrace the foolishness, and we live as fools for Jesus Christ. But hear me, we don't live as discouraged fools. 
defeated fools, those poor, pitiful us kind of fools. We have it so hard. Oh, the world is filled with way too many of those kind of Christians, and we don't need to be those people. Listen, we live as happy fools, joyful fools, hopeful fools, obedient fools. Why? Because we actually believe what 1 Corinthians 3.18 teaches, that although our faithfulness to God looks like foolishness to the world, that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. You see, here's the reality, and please don't miss this. You will be someone's fool. And the choice as to whose fool you're going to be is completely up to you. You're either going to be a fool for Christ or you're going to be a fool for this world. Those are your choices. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather be a fool for Christ any day of the week than to be a fool for this world that is slowly passing away and will one day be no more. Amen? The choice is yours. Now, with all that said, the question I want to begin to close our time with is this. Why is it so important for us to get this right? Why is it so important for you and I to do what Noah did? To remain faithful to God. To do those things we've never done. Those things we don't want to do. Those things we know we're going to look foolish doing. I'm going to give you the simple answer that we see reflected in the scriptures. Here it is. We do it because being faithful to God reveals the faithfulness of God to a faithless world. Let me just say that again and then we're going to unpack it. Why do we do this? Why do we remain faithful? Because being faithful to God reveals the faithfulness of God to a faithless world. I want you to listen to what Hebrews 11 verse 7 says about the impact of Noah's faith on the world around him as he built this ark. The writer tells us that by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So a couple things here. The writer of Hebrews tells us, number one, that in reverent fear, Noah built an ark by faith. So again, the writer's pointing out for us that there's a relationship between faith in God and fear of God. And please hear me, when I talk about fearing God, I'm not talking about the type of fear that makes you like scurry away like a scared dog with its tail between its legs. No, fearing God simply means that you understand, yes, he is a good, loving father, but he is also a powerful, sovereign king. That God loves you, that he accepts you if in fact you are in Christ, but in the blink of an eye, that God could wipe you out. You know, it makes me think of my dad. I've used this illustration before. Um, I got an amazing father. Never once in my life ever questioned my dad's love for me. He's gentle, he's kind, he's compassionate. He's always worked his tail off to support our family. Just an awesome man. Never questioned his love. But I always knew my dad could take me out. So I never wanted to mess around and hear those dreaded words from mom. You know, just wait till your dad gets home. Like, I didn't want to mess with dad. That's the idea of fearing God. I know who God is, and I know what he's capable of. And so, man, I just want to please him. I don't want to do anything to provoke him. There's a relationship between fear and faith. In reverent fear, Noah built an ark by faith. And as a result, two things happened. Number one, God declared him to be righteous, to be blameless. Isn't this beautiful? Righteousness doesn't come through works. It comes by faith. But the second thing that happened is this. Noah condemned the world by his faith. 
meaning that as a result of his decision to walk in faithfulness to God, he revealed to the world around him that they were wrong about God. And I want to unpack that for a moment because you need to see how this applies to us today, okay? In 2 Peter 2.5, we are told that, that Noah was a herald of righteousness. So in other words, Noah didn't just build his boat while keeping his mouth shut. Right, as he built his boat over all those years, he was preaching faithfully to his community. Listen, God's judgment is coming, and you don't need to experience it. God is providing a means of rescue, and I'm constructing it. And so leave behind your violence. Leave behind your wickedness. Turn from your sin. Stop living faithless lives and put your faith in the God who created you. We know from the story that unfortunately every person who heard that message rejected it. Can you imagine what they felt when that first rain, a drop of rain fell? When water started coming up from the ground? Like I just picture those people running toward that ark. Noah and his family are safe inside, shut in by the very hand of God, and they're banging on the door. Noah, please let us in. We should have listened. We should have turned to the God that you were proclaiming all these years, and they knew in that moment we're condemned. Listen, my friends, this is why it is so important for you and I to live lives of faithfulness to God in our world today. I mean, you know this, but every day of life, we are surrounded by people who are in danger of facing condemnation if, in fact, they fail to turn from their sin and to Jesus as their Savior. And when you and I live lives of faithfulness, God takes us and he uses us to reveal to the world what is actually true about him. We become those heralds of righteousness, if you will, who proclaim through both word and deed that, yes, God hates sin, that sin grieves him to his heart, and because he's holy and different and set apart and transcendent in every way, he has to punish sin. But God in his grace has provided a means of rescue, and through our faithful lives, we declare to the world, no matter how far you've run, no matter how badly you've messed up, no matter how far gone you think you might be. There is a God who is faithful. And if you will turn to him in faith, he will rescue you himself from his coming judgment. And so in light of that, let me just ask some questions and we'll be done. What do you know today that God wants you to do in faith that you've never done? What do you know that God's calling you to do that you just absolutely do not want to do? And what is it that God's calling you to do today that you know, man, if I do that, I'm going to look like a complete fool to the world around me. And here's my final question. Would you be willing to do that thing in faith, all for the glory of God and for the sake of faithless people in your life that God loves and wants to save? Will you pray with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed, all over the room. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and to get in their places. And I I just feel very impressed in this moment to to ask you to do this. And so if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. But, man, if if you'd be willing, I would love for you to do this. Just as you sit in your seat, would you just open your hands up before the Lord right now? Just in your lap. Just open your hands up as if you're just releasing whatever that thing is in your life to the Lord that he's calling you to let go of. And would you right now in this moment 
begin to ask God for the faith, the courage, the power you need to do that thing that you know he's calling you to do. Just ask him for help. Listen, as many of us are are praying, and, and if you are praying, just ignore what I'm saying and pray. But I have to imagine there are some of us sitting in this room right now, and what we need to do that we've never done is give our lives to Jesus. Like some of us, there's never been a moment in which we have put our faith in that means of rescue that God has provided. And maybe up to this point, you've worried, well, if I follow Jesus, I'm gonna look like a fool, or maybe for you, it's bad. I just don't wanna do that right now. But today, you've realized, I have to do that. If God loves me like that, and if God himself has offered a way for me to be saved from hopelessness, from meaninglessness, from this lack of joy and peace that's in my life, if he wants to give me eternal life with him through his son, then absolutely I want him. If you need to put your faith in Christ today for the first time, then right where you're seated, why don't you just pray and say something like this to God. God, I put my faith in that ark you've provided. God, I realize that I am a sinner And my sin has separated me from you. And God, I am asking you right now to save me. I put my faith in Jesus as the Savior that I need. I believe in his death on the cross for me. His resurrection from the dead for me. And God, I'm asking you forgive me of all my sins. Past, present, and future. Take hold of my life. And make me into the person you created me to be. I say yes to Jesus. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed all over this room, if you just pray that with me, I want to ask you to do me a simple favor. Wherever you're seated, would you just lift a hand? James, that's me. I I put my faith in Jesus. Just keep it up. I see you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Just keep it up for just a moment on the floor in the balcony. Our prayer team's going to come and put a resource in your hand. And as soon as you receive it, you can place your hand back down. Anybody else? James, that is me. Put my faith in Jesus Christ. They're coming. Thank you so much. We see you. If we haven't gotten to you yet, just showed up real high. Awesome. Well, Father, I pray for the rest of us, every follower of Jesus Christ in this room. God, I am praying that whatever it is that you're calling us to do in faith for your glory and for the good of the world around us, that you would give us everything we need to do, that thing, God, that that we know is going to honor you most. And so, Father, we need you. God, would you be for us what we need? And God, we're trusting that you will. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.